Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 1st of November here in London. This is the Bluebeck Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, dozens are killed as Israeli airstrikes target a Gaza refugee camp, which the military says was a Hamas stronghold. In other news, anticipating a hawkish hold, Wall Street expects a second consecutive pause from the Federal Reserve, with attention also on the US deficit. Plus, Sunak's thick of it moment. The UK COVID inquiry exposes the chaos that was inside Downing Street. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Israel's military hit a refugee camp in Gaza with a series of airstrikes with television footage showing dozens of people killed. Israel Defence Forces spokesperson Daniel Hagari says it was targeting Hamas and killed a senior leader in the organisation. Tonight we eliminated the murderous terrorist Ibrahim Biari. Biari is the main combat leader in the northern Gaza Strip since the IDF forces entered Gaza. He also had a part in the massacre on October 7th. During his assassination, many terrorists were killed, terrorists who stayed with him in the building and in the underground area below the buildings. The targeting of a refugee camp has stoked concerns about the mounting death toll from weeks of fighting. United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres reiterating a call for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. Bolivia severed diplomatic relations with Israel on Tuesday, accusing it of carrying out crimes against humanity. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will also return to Israel this Friday. America's top diplomat told the U.S. Senate it is too soon to call for a ceasefire. When it comes to a ceasefire, in this moment, you're exactly right. Uh, That would simply consolidate what Hamas has been able uh, to do uh, and allow it uh, to uh, remain where it is and potentially repeat what it did uh, another day. And that's not tolerable. Blinken also drew connections between the war in Ukraine and Israel, calling the conflict's, quote, one fight. President Joe Biden's top national security officials oppose separating arms aid for Israel from Ukraine. A group of hardline House Republicans have said that they want to rush uh, aid to Israel, but delay or reject more weapons for Ukraine in its fight against Russia's invasion. Federal Reserve officials meet today with markets anticipating that interest rates will remain unchanged. The central bank is poised to hold for a second straight meeting while keeping its tightening bias. QI Research CEO and Chief Strategist Danielle DiMartino Booth says she will be listening to the tone of the press conference from Jerome Powell. If you look back at all of history, once we get a double pause, the Fed does tend to be finished but we're going to want to look at Jay Powell's body language. Is he going to be saying, "I am"? we're going to be higher for longer and that's that and don't expect any rate cuts in 2024? We're going to find out when he's at the podium. And I think that 
that it was that level of resoluteness last FOMC meeting that really started to to set a panic into the market. This guy's serious type of thinking. Booth added the other thing that she's looking at is any mention of financial conditions. The other event drawing attention today is the US Treasury's refinancing announcement later, which will look at the US government's borrowing needs. Now, betting on political and economic events has returned as the top performing strategy for hedge funds in the third quarter of the year. That's after a dismal performance for macro trades in the first six months of 2023. Data from Citco says that asset weighted returns for macro funds surpassed 3% in the three months to the end of September. Now, that's compared to small losses registered by multi strategy and equities funds in the same period. Increased volatility in August in September, along with a clearer outlook on interest rates, helped to boost the performance of macro funds. WeWork plans to file for bankruptcy as early as next week, according to a report in the Wall Street Journal. The company symbolised the venture capital boom, reaching a valuation of $47 billion. A botched IPO and changing business environment now sees the company missing interest payments in early October. A spokesperson for the company said it would not comment on speculation. Now, a former UK government advisor has reopened debates about the Conservative government's handling of the COVID pandemic, which caused more than 231,000 deaths in Britain. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has pitched himself as a clean break from previous administrations. But Dominic Cummings' explosive evidence to the official COVID-19 inquiry laid the blame with ministers who he called morons and far more offensive words. I think I was reflecting a widespread view uh, amongst uh, competent people at the centre of power at the time about the calibre of a lot of senior people who are dealing with this crisis extremely badly. Like Cummings, both Sunak and Boris Johnson will have to take questions from the inquiry. It threatens to derail the Prime Minister ahead of a coming general election. We want to bring you up to date with the latest developments in the Middle East. The US Secretary of State is to travel back to Israel after dozens of people were reported killed and injured in Israel's airstrikes on a refugee camp in Gaza. Bloomberg's Paul Wallace, who leads our Middle East economics and government coverage, joins us now. Good morning, Paul. Let's start with the events in the Jabalaya refugee camp. What do we know about what happened? Hi, Caroline. Well, Yes, this is another very controversial airstrike um, that's, or explosion that's taken place. Um, with this one, Israel has admitted that it was responsible. Um, it says that it was targeting a Hamas training center, a training center that apparently was used in, in the militant, militant groups October the 7th attacks. Um, Israel says that the the explosion or the airstrike caused damage to nearby buildings, um, including um, including some in this um, in this refugee camp. Um, so we don't know the death total, but um, Palestinian officials in the uh, Hamas-run territory are saying um, that it um, uh, amounts to uh, tens and and perhaps over. 50. So this is something that is um, further sort of inflaming tensions in, in the broader Middle East. And the UAE, Qatar and Saudi Arabia have all strong, strongly condemned um, the strike uh, by Israel and reiterated calls for an immediate uh, ceasefire in Gaza. 
Well, let's stay in Gaza for the moment, Paul. It looks like the Rafa border crossing into Egypt may be opened to allow some wounded Palestinians to leave the territory. Yes. So Hamas has said very early this morning that some um, wounded Palestinians will be allowed to cross into Egypt for treatment at Egyptian hospitals. Hamas is also saying that some foreign nationals will be allowed to leave the enclave. It gave a list of um, mostly NGO workers, and that list included foreigners and dual nationals from places like um, Australia and Indonesia. No U.S. citizens on that, and I believe no European citizens either. However, there's still um, uh, there's still some um, uh, Western diplomats are saying that this might not happen today. Um, they they are saying that um, there's been so much talk about this, about allowing foreigners out over the last um, three weeks, and then it's always broken down at the last minute. So seeing is believing on that front. But Hamas is saying that that will um, or should be able to happen as soon as today. Mm. Uh, let's go then to the diplomatic efforts now, because Anthony Blinken is um, meant to be going back to the Middle East later this week. What do you think we should expect from that trip? Yes, so he's meant to be going to Israel on Friday and um, other countries in the region, so some uh, some Arab um, uh, Arab states. I think he's he's going to very much reaffirm his his support uh, for 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 Israel, certainly in public. It's likely he's going to continue putting pressure on the Israelis to allow more aid into um, into Gaza and probably also press them on what their end goal is for for the territory. We know that in that um, the U.S. is very much putting uh, or questioning um, uh, Israel's military establishment and its government to find out what exactly it plans uh, to do with Gaza's governance. Um, it, it, it seems clear that Israel does not want to to run the territory itself. It's put, it's all but ruled that out or, already, given how difficult and unpopular that would be. But if not Israel, then who? Uh, and I think the Americans want Israel to really start. Um, um, planning for uh, Gaza's future once once all the airstrikes and the the ground offensive um, is over. But it seems from our reporting that both the Americans and the Israelis do not really have a clear plan at all. There's vague talk of some kind of third party from the Arab world or perhaps the United Nations um, stepping in to, to run the territory in, 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 in some form. But um, as I said, this is all very theoretical at the moment and it seems like ideas are just um, being um, suggested with no clear idea what the, um, what, the, um, what the main plan is. Of course, yeah, the situation very, very uncertain, but interesting to see those reports around the idea of US and Israel considering a peacekeeping force uh, for Gaza in the future as well. Um, this, Paul, as we've been learning, that the US is, is sending more troops to the Middle East, not to Israel, but when we're thinking about the broader regional implications of the Israel-Hamas conflict, um, the US reinforcing its, its troops stationed in the region. Yeah, and that's been a big, um, big topic since the October seventh attacks by Hamas. Um, the, the U.S. Has, uh, has sent two aircraft carrier groups to the eastern Mediterranean. It's bulked up its presence of Marines there. Um, both the Israelis and the U.S. do not really want boots on the ground in Israel. That's something they they uh, they both want to avoid. And so far, there's no suggestion that will happen. Um, it's very likely that they. Are, you know, at the moment, um, 
almost on a permanent basis, you know, senior U.S. Uh, officers in, in the country to help with the U.S.-Israeli military coordination, but not we're not talking boots on the ground. U.S. military bases in Syria and Iraq have come under pretty, um, let's say, intense um, drone and, and, uh, and missile attacks since October the 7th. Those strikes have picked up. Um, so far, they don't seem to have caused too much in the, uh, damage and haven't caused much in the way of, ca- um, they haven't caused many casualties, but that is certainly something the U.S. Um, uh, is, uh, is, is worried about. Okay, Paul, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Bloomberg's Paul Wallace, who leads our Middle East government and economics coverage, joining us this morning just to bring us the latest developments when it comes to Israel Hamas. The Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, let's turn to other news now and the decision from the Federal Reserve due later on. The US Central Bank expected to hold interest rates at their highest level in 22 years for a second meeting while leaving the door open for another potential hike as soon as December. Bloomberg television anchor Kriti Gupta is with us in studio for more. Good morning to you, Kriti. So a pause widely expected at this meeting. So it's the language being used by Jerome Powell that will be most in focus later on. Yeah, I think we're going to get a little bit of deja vu from the last meeting, which is kind of a hot hawkish pause maybe uh, on the cards here. And I think what's important to keep in mind is that we've heard time and time again from a lot of not only Chairman Powell, but from the other uh, Fed speakers and the voting members as well in the last, I want to say, six weeks or so, where they're still saying, look, the economy is extremely resilient. You are seeing, still seeing a very strong labor market. You are still seeing wage growth increase, not to mention a lot of the unions and the strikes have been become a part of the conversation as well. This is all not exactly indicative of a slowing economy. In fact, it's an accelerating economy. And I think that's what's kind of throwing everybody for a loop here because the markets were positioned for a slowdown. The question is, when does the slowdown happen? At the end of 2023 or at the end of 2024? Or now, even the conversation is 2025. And that's, I think, why you're seeing uh, Chairman Powell specifically start to say, well, okay, we might need to just give it a little bit more time to see how the bond market actually shakes out before we hike again. But we will hike again. And that seems to be the message that the markets are taking so far. Yeah, the only thread of negativity seemed to be that U.S. consumer confidence that dropped to a five-month low. Um, in data out yesterday. Um, How much work do you think has been done sort of for the Fed, as it were, in terms of tightening financial conditions from the recent surge in Treasury yields? Quite a bit. And this is something that you've heard from a lot of uh, not just market uh, folks, but also people from around the world as well. I'll remind you that Governor Uweda over at the BOJ said that as well. He said that a lot of the moves in the GGB market isn't actually based on the Japanese economy. It's based on the US economy and the sell-off you've seen there. But I think what's so important about today is not just the Federal Reserve announcement but also uh, the refunding announcement that we're going to get in a couple of hours as well. And this kind of pre- uh 
I don't want to say predates, but basically comes before the Federal Reserve decision. I think comes at about 9 a.m. U.S. time. But basically, the idea here is that if the if you need to fund a fiscal deficit, which for some reason is now being talked about more and more by the Federal Reserve, whereas it wasn't really part of the conversation before because it was such a long-term thought process, the Treasury needs to issue more debt. Now, the market knows that. They're expecting more debt. What happens, though, is that if you actually have less on the market, then suddenly you have more demand for limited supply uh, because you have less supply than expected. And what that basically does is push a lot of yields lower, create a lot more demand for the bond market in a way that completely turns the current trend in the bond market on its head. So, so far, we've seen a sell-off in the last couple of months, um, this kind of major volatility where a lot of people don't want to be exposed to the bond market, one, because of the fiscal deficit issues, also because there are people don't really want that exposure to the United States. It's not seen as a haven the way it was before, simply because we go in these iterations of government shutdowns and deficit Mm -hmm. talks as well. And on top of that, this kind of mix of hawkish talk, add on the geopolitics and the oil price uh, to it as well. You don't really want to be exposed to the inflationary story in the United States. That being said, if you start to suddenly see the market plumbing, which is what this refunding announcement addresses, kind of turn around, you have this built-in demand for the bond market that's going to create uh, basically a vacuum that pushes yields lower and turn the entire market move on its head. And a lot of people are saying that that announcement is going to be more indicative of where bonds go next than the Federal Reserve will. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, A 1,000 global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.